we are walking in or progressing in wickedness. Again, at the beginning of verse 2, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And I want you to just circle, circle these little verbs here if you're into doing that. But circle the verb walked in verse 2, the verb lived in verse 3, and then carrying out also in verse 3. So we walked in these things, jump down to verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh and then carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Okay? So the idea of walking here, and this, this, this word walk comes up many, many times throughout the book of Ephesians. There's many themes through Ephesians, but walking is definitely one of them. You see it several other times throughout the book. Later on, he's going to talk about how we are to walk in the Spirit, that we're to walk in light, that we're to walk as, as sons of God. But here he says, before Christ, we are walking. When you, walking, it, it's, again, it's the idea of going somewhere. That we are, that's why I said we are progressing in our sin. We are not just born sinful and then we just kind of hang out there and just remain static. We're, it's dynamic. We're constantly growing in our sinfulness apart from Christ. Now, you don't always see it. This is why we go to church. Because we might not have life in us, and again, I'm saying that sarcastically, but we do nice religious things sometimes to try to cover it up so people might not see it. But if we are not born again, if we do not trust in Christ for salvation and have him do a supernatural work in us, transform us, we are always walking in sin. We will be carrying it out. And again, these are, these are passions these are desires that are inside of us. And what's in us, in our heart, Jesus said, all evil that you ever see, it comes out of the heart. And so the reason that we sin is because we are sinners. And we go deeper and deeper into it apart from Christ. And then, lastly, the description of our sinful state not only are we dead, not only, only are we slaves, not only are we walking, progressing in wickedness, but the only thing that we can anticipate apart from Christ is a future filled with wrath. A future filled with wrath. And again, Paul uses very powerful, colorful language. And this is where, folks, if you've ever heard people talk about the offense of the gospel, it's right here. Okay? Let me be clear. This is the offense of the gospel. Is that Jesus Christ did not come just to give you a little bit of meaning, a little bit of purpose, and to help you live your best life now just by sprinkling some magic pixie dust on you. He came to rescue you from an eternity spent in a deserving hell. Eternal punishment. Because our sin is not cute. It is not cute, folks. It is evil, it is treasonous, because we have rebelled against our Creator to whom we belong. And He is right and just in sentencing everyone who does not turn to His Son, Jesus Christ, and repent. He is right and just in sentencing them to hell forever. And Paul says here, the way he describes it, is that, end of verse 3, we were by nature children of wrath. 
children of wrath. And then this state, well, is this just a few? This must be, it must be for the really bad people, right? Because, you know, I might be bad, I'm a sinner, I admit it, but, you know, but then there's some really bad folks. No, no, no. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. While, yes, on the horizontal level, not all sins are morally equivalent in terms of if my child disobeys me and, I don't know, takes an extra cookie from the cookie jar, that is sinful. He is, obe- he is disobeying his, his parents. That's not morally equivalent with somebody who murders someone. But before Almighty God, on the vertical plane, not the horizontal one, we are all in the same position. And we all face the same problem. That we are, by nature, children of wrath. And I say that, I frame that and said that as we can only anticipate a future filled with wrath apart from Christ, is because when you think about children, as Paul does here, when you think about children, I think there's something every time we see kids, we're, we're also thinking about their future. And I think that this is part of what Paul wants us to get here, is that why does he say children of wrath? Because he is, again, not mincing any words in, descri- in describing the absolute hopelessness and horror of a life apart from Christ. It's because the only thing that we can anticipate as our future, just like you think about a kid's future when you look at them, it's the only thing that we can anticipate is wrath. In fact, if you notice here in the, in, in the text, he uses the word sons at the end of verse 2. After he says, we're following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then out in verse 3, he uses children of wrath. The word for sons there, they're different Greek words. The word for sons is the idea of, of, likeness, of likeness, okay? So many times some of you will tell me that like our boys look like me or Hannah, right? There's a likeness there because there are sons. That's the idea there is that we look like sons of disobedience because we disobey. But the idea for children is the idea of intimacy, Right? So my kids can call me father in a way that other people can't because they are my children. They're intimately acquainted with me. Paul says, apart from Christ, the only thing that we can be intimately acquainted with is God's wrath. Now, just to be clear, I would not doubt at all that for many of you, right now, just what I just said might be the first time that you have ever heard sin described um, in that desperate of state. That might be. Uh, again, I don't want you to believe it because I said it. I want you to believe it because the Bible says it. But I just point this out is because many times the gospel that many of us have grown up with has not been the full gospel truth. It's been slanted. And it's been slanted towards man-centeredness. It has been slanted with this idea of like, of course Christ died for us. Because we're so valuable, we're so beautiful, isn't he lucky to now have us on his team? Nothing could be farther from the biblical truth. The wrath of God is against every one of us, naturally apart from Christ. Because God is holy and he will not tolerate sin. 
And we have a, we always, we always, always, always have a natural inclination to make ourselves look better than we are. Have you ever noticed, and, and again, maybe not you, but I definitely have for me, is that when I look in the mirror, I look a lot skinnier than sometimes when I see photos of myself. Because when you look in the mirror, you're like, you know, kind of say, oh, you know, yeah, I'm all right. But every now and then, for me anyway, a while back, uh, Anna showed me a picture that was on her phone from several years ago of me sitting on a four-wheeler with Rowan on the back, and we were, and it was, it was not flattering. It was not flattering. But that was the truth. That was the truth. That's what I, that's, that's what I looked like. This is what you look like. We like to suck it in and kind of show our best side. But the Bible wants us to live in reality of who we are apart from Christ. So that is the description of our sinful state. And now let me, we'll continue to talk a little bit about that and we'll overlap it with God's amazing grace. And again, this, what he provides, just, just what the doctor ordered. Paul goes on here, <laughs> one of the greatest transitions anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> After these unbelievably dark and heavy yet true few verses here, one through three. Verse four, praise the Lord for this. Praise the Lord. Verse four, but God. But God, who, yes, his wrath is against us, but God also, but God being rich in mercy because of the great Love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he states it again. Don't forget the description of death that he just gave that we are dead, that we're slaves, that we're children of wrath, that we're progressing, we're walking in wickedness. Because of the great love. Yet because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, what did he do? He made us alive. It's a miracle that God, through his son Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of the gospel, he made us alive. If you are here this morning and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been born again, the Spirit of God, as we looked at a couple weeks ago in verse 14, or verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1, that you've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, it is because God has done a miracle. He has made you alive. I want to go back for a second to the valley of dry bones with Ezekiel. He goes into that valley and he says, you know, they weren't just bones, but there were a bunch of them, and man, they were dry. Not just dry, they were very dry. And God asks him the question. He says, Son of man, can these bones live? And he answers, O oh Lord, only you know. And then he says to Ezekiel, Therefore, prophesy over these bones. And say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, 
and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and to cover your skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now again, I know that this is a specific prophecy that Ezekiel is speaking at a specific place in time, in real time, space, history, a couple thousand years ago for the nation of Israel. But I am telling you, this is exactly the same way it works when we proclaim the gospel. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is it, the message, the gospel message, is the power of God unto salvation. And this is what has been happening throughout church history for the last 2,000 years. Since Jesus Christ has, has been raised up and is seated at the right hand of God, he gives all authority to his people, and he says, go and preach the gospel. As we proclaim the gospel, we are just like Ezekiel, proclaiming the truth in the midst of a bunch of death, and not just dead stuff, but very dead stuff. Bones that are dry, very dry. But as we proclaim the gospel, uh, you, you got to love what happens next Ezekiel in verse 7 of Ezekiel 37. He says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. Behold, a rattling. And these bones came together. Bone to bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them. And skin had covered them. But there was not yet any breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, O breath of these slain, that they may come and that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is what happens when we proclaim the gospel. In the midst of death, is that there's a rattling that begins to happen. And dead men come alive. And for 2,000 years, he has been doing it. He's been doing it all over the world as we sang about this morning. I love that, that, that first song we did. In Asia, and in Africa, and in Europe, and in hard-hearted Western America. The gospel works, folks. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I want us to believe this. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, you know, we're not, a, we're not a huge church, but if you were around at the beginning when we were, you know, at Little Newgrounds Cafe and, um, and at Walnut Creek Elementary for a, just a few months in the summer, no air conditioning, praise the Lord, he, he got us out of there, but um, so nobody died. Uh, but, you know, somebody asked me, they said, man, did you ever, did you ever think that, you know, like you'd be like an actual church? <laughs> you know, and, it's all, and I, it's, it's all God. It's not, it's not me. It's not any of us. It's him. And I understand when people are like, well, did you think that this would work? Yes! Yes, I believed it worked because the gospel works. The gospel causes people to live. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And again, of course, we don't hold that in any sort of a self-aggrandizing way. But folks, this is the message that we've been given to preach. It is the power of God unto salvation, and it brings dead men to life. 
I, I, I remember I texted him last night to make sure that he was okay that I share this. Um, but Logan Belleville, he, I don't know for sure that he was. I mean, we never really kept track of it, like the very first person that ever got saved at Mercy Hill Church. But, but Logan, in my mind, is that, is that person. He's the first one I kind of remember because it was, such a, it was such a process of watching it, is that Matt Rao had, a, had had a relationship with Logan from years ago, and, this, and Matt kept, you know, kept bringing this, this young man to church. And I would ask Matt, I was like, is that guy, is, that, is, that, is Logan, is, is he saved? And Matt's like, I don't, I don't know that he is. I don't know, but, he, but he just kept coming. <laughs> and he just kept coming. And then he'd, he'd come to church, and you could just tell God was doing something in him. And, you know, and you're like, is he, is he saved? And Matt's like, I don't know. I don't know that he, maybe, I don't know that he's saved. <laughs> but we, and then, you know, he'd come to church on Sunday mornings. Again, it wasn't all church. Matt was meeting with him during the week and discipling him. And, you know, it was, it was all God. It was all God. But what was happening? There was a rattling of dead bones coming to life in Logan. I'll never forget the day when him and Matt pulled me aside after the service. He just said he had something to share. I said, hey, what's up, buddy? He goes, last night I gave my heart to the Lord. I want to tell you something. I know that Logan would agree 100% with this. God did that. God did that. God makes dead men live. And it is through the proclamation of the gospel that we have a message that, quite honestly, is far greater than Ezekiel's. We have a gospel that I don't care whether you're Jew, Gentile, slave-free, man, woman, black, white, red, yellow, brown. We have a gospel that will bring you back to life. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior. I mean, we'll get to it here in a little bit. I want to jump ahead. But it is only by grace through faith that you are saved. It is a gift of God. Just trust Him. That's it. But God's grace, he, it's specific. He makes dead men live. Secondly, where we once were slaves of the evil prince. He sets us free by raising us up. He sets us free by raising us up. Now look carefully at the text. Let me show you where I'm getting this because I admit that the word for set free and slave is not in the text, but this is precisely the idea that Paul was trying to communicate to us here. So again, when we were dead in our sins, we were following the prince of the power of the air and we were carrying out the will of his evil kingdom. Now, Paul says, in verse 6, um, again, by grace you've been saved, the end of verse 5, and then verse 6, and he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now this language, you've got to remember, it don't, this is all just one letter, and many of these are just one long sentence. There's only actually been a few sentences in the, you know, the original Greek here that it's, been, that it's been written. But just back at the end of chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, 
Okay, remember the point I made last, one of the last points I made last week was that the war has been won. Look at verse 20 at the end of chapter 1. He says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So God raised Christ up from the dead. And then verse 21, far above, this raising up was far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And again, that is, that is like warfare language there. Same thing is used in chapter 6, speaking of this, this battle that we fight against the devil and, and all his demons. Is, and in the same way, now down here in verse 6, just like God raised Christ up, he has raised us up. And again, sandwiched between those two sections was verse 2, that we once were following the prince of the power of the air is that in Christ Jesus, folks, you have been raised up from the power of sin in your life. You once were a slave to sin, but in Christ Jesus, you have been set free. Now, there should be a rub that's coming in your mind because this happens all the time. I tell people, you have been set free in Christ. And they go, Eric, I've not been set free. I I can't get over this. Why is that? Because you believe lies. The devil is a liar. You once had no power, but now in Christ, you have resurrection power. Your new position, he's not just speaking here of that someday we will totally be raised up with him. Yes, there is glorification that is coming. But after our justification comes sanctification. The power of sin has been broken. Because positionally, in Christ, you have been raised up with him. This is, I know, I don't have time to go into all this. I know this is going to be some weird, some weird categories. But Jesus Christ, the Bible says very clearly, is seated in heaven at the Father's right hand. It also says very clearly that he lives in me. And he lives in you. Okay? In the same way, you are seated here at the Amish Country Theater, but your spirit is seated with Christ in heaven. You're like, ah, oh, they didn't teach me that in school. Of course they didn't. But that's what the Bible says, is that you have been raised up with Christ. You are seated with him. And when the devil comes to you with his lies, saying that you've got to give in to this temptation, you're an addict, you are a liar, you are a thief. Those are lies. And in that moment, the power for you over that lie to be able to live a holy life as God intends for you to live is is starting with the gospel. Saying, I am not a slave anymore. I'm not in bondage anymore. Not because I don't deserve to be, but because Jesus has set me free. All part of the gospel. All part of our salvation. No special Christians that are saved, but somehow still have to live in bondage. Everyone set free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, the Bible says. And he has set us free by raising us up and seating us with Christ. Colossians chapter 3 says that we're above and, and that our life is hidden with Christ in God. Your position is secure. So we were dead in sin and God made us alive. We were slaves to the evil prince and God has set us free by raising us up. Third, once where we could only anticipate a future filled with wrath, now we can anticipate a future filled with riches. This is incredible. Verses 6 and 7, again, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, 
He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Where once we were children of wrath, our future we could only anticipate wrath and punishment. Now, what we can anticipate for all of eternity is God showing us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The Romans 8.28, one of you know, the popular Christianity's most favorite verses, and for good reason, it's wonderful, says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is working all things in your life together for good. And I believe that what this, this verse here is saying is that someday, for all of eternity, for the coming ages, God is going to unravel for us. He's going to unpack for us all that he was doing in our little finite little lives here and now on the earth. He's going to show us for all of eternity the riches of his grace that every single moment of your life that he was the one holding you, he is the one sustaining you. Every single one of us in this room today, I guarantee if we, you know, we take the time, we could go around and we could spend day after day and month after month talking about the pain and the hurt that we've experienced it, that we've experienced in this life. Yet, yet, here we are today in Christ. And yes, it's been difficult, but his grace has sustained us. And we're able to stand and we're able to be here and we're able to sing and we're able to give him praise And yes, there's still things we'd like to see fixed and we need healed from, but he's doing that. And the work that he began in us, he's going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We have no idea the riches that God has in store for us. Very quickly, 1 Kings chapter 10. Kind of cryptic little story about Solomon and the queen of Sheba. says, now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with her hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with with camels, bearing spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind, and Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings that he had offered from the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. It, it, what's, it took her breath away. The splendor of Solomon. It goes on, verse 6, and she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land about your words and about your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came by my own eyes and had seen it, and behold, not even half of it was told me. Your wisdom and your, and your prosperity surpass the report that I heard. And then she says this, happy are your men, happy are your servants. That was the queen of Sheba to Solomon. But I'm telling you folks, we would count the riches of Solomon as loss in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And in eternity, he will unfold forever the riches of his grace and it will take our breath away and we will worship him forever and declare as his people, happy are your servants. Happy are your men. Because we belong to the king. Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Where once we had only 
a wrath-filled future. Now we have a future filled with riches. And finally, where once we were progressing in wickedness, walking in wickedness, now we are walking in righteousness. Walking in works of righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And then verse 10. We'll be done. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Paul, Paul is so repetitive. My kids tell me all the time, Dad, you, uh, you, say, you repeat yourself. I'm like, it's because I want to be like Paul. Um, so repetitive. He just, he's just hammering in this passage. You didn't do this. This was God. You didn't do this. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice the link, verse 2. We once walked in the power of the flesh, carrying out the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, every part of us, passions, body, and mind. But now, we have been made a new creation. New creation, that word is very intentional. We are his workmanship created. We have been recreated in Christ. We were born once, that's why the Bible says we were born again. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, when did he do that? At the beginning of creation. Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What is, what is being saved like? It's like God speaking into the darkness and creating life where once there was none. And we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not created because of our good works, but, works, but created for our good, for good works, which... God prepared before, beforehand that we should walk in them. Over and over and over and over again, Paul is adamant that from beginning to end, this is a work of God. I was studying this last night, and worship team, you can come up. I know we're going long here, but just come on up. I actually, I blame Alan for that. Not, it's not my fault. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Come on up. Um, and Paul was just so adamant that it, every aspect of our salvation from beginning to end has been God. And I just had that, I, I don't know what the song actually is, I can just only remember the, uh, the chorus, guys, what it's called. Beginning to end, my life in your hands. Great, great is thy faithfulness. We've sang that before, haven't we? Yeah. Oh, it's called Great Is Thy Faithfulness. Remake. Not the old hymn, the remake. You never let go this one thing I know. Great, great is thy faithfulness. Everything. From beginning to end. It's because of the grace of God. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, I know you know this, but you got to just continue to trust that. 
There is not one moment of your life, good, bad, or ugly, that has fallen through the cracks. He sees and he knows everything and he cares. And if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Again, all you must do is trust him. A while back, I had a meeting with a guy that it, it, it seems that he came to the Lord. He got saved. And we were right at that place. We were right at that place where, like I asked him, I was like, do you want to, you can, you can ask the Lord in your heart now. You can, you can trust him now. He's like, okay, but I could tell he just, he really wanted me to like lead him in a prayer. He wanted me to give him words to say. And again, I'm not necessarily against doing that, but I was just like, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I told him. I said, I'm not gonna tell you what to pray. Because the words don't matter. What matters is that you, with the words that God gives you, tell him that you need him. And so he did. He did. He told God that he needed him. And I believe, and I believe that in that moment that God saved him. And it is that simple, folks. Just bow your heads with me. We'll be done. <coughs> Lord, we love you. I love your word. Happy are your servants. Happy are your people, oh God. You are wonderful. You are altogether lovely. There's nobody like you. I thank you, Lord, for saving me. I shared this morning, Lord, I thank you for saving Logan. Thank you for saving all of us here, Lord, that know you as Savior. Thank you for your power in that process of making those dead bones rattle and then come to life. It is amazing. Lord, I just this morning, Father, this, this passage and the, the beauty and the power of all that you can do, oh God, we pray for your salvation. We pray for your salvation in our church. We pray for your salvation in our locality, in our, in our area of Holmes County and Sugar Creek and Walnut Creek and Berlin and Apple Creek and Millersburg and wherever else people are coming from, from Dover, New Philly. We pray for our state. We pray for our nation. Father, I pray that you would raise up faithful men and women to proclaim the gospel, to share it in the with the voice and in the place with the gifting that you have given them. And we pray, Lord, that we would please see a rattling like we've never seen before. A coming together of dead bones to live. That we would witness the miracle of dead men being made alive through the power of the gospel. We need it, Lord. Our nation needs it. But Father, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May be you and may you be worshipped forever as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because you are. We love you, Jesus. 
Thanks for letting us be here this morning.